Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read from verse 22 uh, just to grab some context, and we're going to dive in. We're going to go hard. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, put your eyes there. It says, and see, this is Paul, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I go, I'm sorry, and indeed now I know that you, will, you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Let's pray and we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, have your way this morning. In and through the teaching of your word, we submit ourselves to you and, ask, and would ask that you, Holy Spirit, would move in our hearts. This is incredible truth. And so would you apply it to us? Would you guide and lead? We've set this time aside just for you. And so, Lord, have your way among your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's hanging out in Miletus. You might recall that he has called for the elders of Ephesus to come down. This was the first pastor's conference. We talked about how Paul was no fool. If you're going to do a pastor's conference, you need to have it on the coast in the Mediterranean. Because why not type of thing, right? You might as well do it. So Paul calls them together. They are there ministering. He didn't want to go into Ephesus because he's trying to get to Jerusalem by a certain amount of time or by a particular time period. And so he calls them all down there to minister to them. Ephesus was a really important city. It was similar like to Antioch over near there in Syria. It was, just, it was a church that did missions. It sent out a lot of people. And the church in Ephesus had been used in mighty ways throughout the, that region. Apollo spent time in Ephesus. Paul spent three years there, longer than any other place he'd ever been. You have John was there for a time. A lot of people spent a lot of time in Ephesus. It was an incredible place. And so he calls them together. He didn't do this with anybody else. And the reason why this is such an important section of Scripture and why we've taken so long to go into it is because you don't have this really anywhere else in the book of Acts. Dialogue between Paul and then the church. Usually he's sharing the gospel with people and proclaiming Jesus. But here we've got this slowing down and we're seeing something. And you'll notice that he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Why is that important and why does he mention that? Because I think that it puts the responsibility on those who are listening to him. He's talking to elders from Ephesus. And he's like, guys, listen, I've told you everything. I've not left anything out. So if you screw up, it's on you, basically is what he's saying. He said in verse 20, I've kept back nothing that was helpful. 
And so you can't say, Paul, I didn't know. You didn't tell me this. He says, no, no, I've told you everything. The full counsel of God has been given. That would have been, at this point in time, he's, he has the Old Testament. What we have now by application is the whole thing. These 66 books of the Bible, we have God's counsel right here. The fullness of it. That if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I heard something from the Lord. It's a revelation. It's a little bit different than what we find here. But trust me, no, you, you get rid of them. You tell them to be quiet, right? And you patiently tell them to go away. You don't listen to them, right? We have it right here. It's sealed. It's done. And everything that we get to do now is we get to filter everything through this right here. That when I offer counsel, advice, so on and so forth, that this is what it's through. If you're giving somebody something else, we'll stop. You should love them better than that. And we'll talk through what exactly a shepherd does. So he's talking to these elders here in Ephesus. Sorry, from Ephesus. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And then he's going to move on. So it's important we connect these two things. So he says, therefore, he says, because of these things, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. What's the connection? Well, when he says take heed, that means to bring it near, to devote your thought to it. To what? Well, really, the first thing was to themselves. Like, you guys better take an inventory of yourself. Turn your mind to you and your flock because there's some stuff coming down the pipe. And you guys need to be ready. What exactly does it mean to take heed? Well, let's talk about it just for a second. And what do we take heed of? Jesus used this word a lot. In Matthew chapter 6, we have this. It said, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. To be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. There it is. They said, wow, that was cool. That's all you got. He's saying, watch out for yourself. You're going to have to check your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you, is it so people can see you? Or is it so the Lord sees you're obeying the move of his spirit? And all you care about is pleasing him. Well, that's the hope. So Jesus would say, take heed. Devote yourself. Like, devote some thought to this. Really consider what are you doing and why you're doing it. Jesus will go on to say in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Beware or take heed of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You're going to have to really think about this and consider, beware of them. Take heed because they're coming. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, But beware of or take heed of men. For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. This is something where you know something's coming, so then you need to be ready for it. Brace yourself kind of a thing. So Paul says, I've told you everything, therefore, take heed. <laughs> okay, right? Take heed. Be aware of it. In 1 Timothy, oh, did I read Matthew 16 yet? No, I didn't. Okay. Matthew 16. Jesus said, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's speaking to his disciples each time. And so these guys have heard it. There are things we take heed to and we should devote ourselves to. And there's, then there's things where we should not take heed. right? So Paul will say it like this in 1 Timothy. Do not give heed to fables. That's like this Greek word mythos, myths. Don't give heed to that. It's like don't waste your time. And don't give heed to endless genealogies that causes disputes, divisions, but rather... It causes disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Don't give heed to that. So if this is starting to come up, like don't waste your time. Move on. Don't give heed to it. Things you do give heed to. 1 Timothy 4. 
He says, until I come, give attention, or that's give heed, to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Focus on that. Encourage the church in that. Let's not waste our time with some auxiliary things. To juxtapose it then, in Titus chapter 1, he says, don't give heed to Jewish fables. Again, he says it. And to the commandments of men who, who turn from the truth. And we're going to see that as we get to these savage wolves, which we'll get to next week, and we'll talk about the idea it's more blessed to give than to receive. We'll re- reserve that for next week and talk through what it means to, have, to get, have a life of giving, to live a life of giving and generosity and so on. We'll get to the savage wolves then, but here it's like, look out. There are these people who are trying to turn you from the truth. Paul says, I've told you all of the truth. You need to take heed to yourselves and make sure you continue to walk right where he is, that your mind will be set on the Lord. Hebrews chapter 2 The author says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away, because it'll happen. How do you drift? My family travels down to Navarre Beach in Florida, and it's our super secret spot that we tell everybody about. And so this year, I have these two massive tandem kayaks. They're huge. And I strapped them to the top of my van and drove to Florida with him. Looked like an absolute moron. And gas mileage was awful. And I'm just sitting here like, is this going to be worth it or not? And so we get to the beach, and we're hanging out. And wouldn't you know it, but there's dolphins out there. And so me and my wife grab one of the kayaks, and we get in the water, and we're paddling out there, and we're surrounded by dolphins. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life, especially for her. She always prays to see dolphins. And then we got to be there, and so she's videotaping, and she's like giggling. It's the cutest thing in the world. Really neat experience. And so we had the kayaks down there having a blast, having a great time. We had other friends that were down there with us, and we were kayaking, having a blast, and all so, so all these things. Well, I was watching some probably stupid YouTube video about being strong or something. I don't even know what it was. But I was like, it occurred to me that there's not very many times in my life that I'm scared. And so I'm like, I should do something that scares me. Because then it makes me stronger. <laughs> Okay, I'm just letting you into my mind. You guys can leave whenever you want, okay? <laughs> but it, it sounds dumb. It is dumb. But I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I, I just am not scared very often. And so I told him, I was like, hey, Nora, do you want to row out like a half a mile offshore? For me, that sounded terrifying. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this. It's not that big of a deal. Like, nothing's going to happen. And, but it will be scary for me because as like, you keep going out, like, the water gets really deep and blue. And I just wonder what's going to happen to me, right? You just get afraid. I just do. I'm not used to the water. I'm from Indiana. And so you'd, try, you'd go out there, and I'm like, half mile's not bad. Maybe a mile. I don't know. How far can you go out? I have no idea. I've never done this before. So anyway, we're paddling. We're going out. And I get like, I don't know. I was probably not even a quarter mile out. I have my watch going, tracking. And I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to go a half a mile offshore. I was terrified. Like, this is really scary paddling out there. And, like, what's going to happen to us? The waves are a little different out there, you know, and they're not breaking, but they're, like, bigger, you know. And so it was just kind of really scary. But I'm like, well, we get to point three. And so we're going, and I'm just going hard. She's just chilling, having a blast. I'm going hard, trying not to look down, all these things. We get to point four, and I'm like, we're committed, we're doing this. And I get to point five, and in between point four and point five, I'm talking to Nora, and I'm just like trying to take my mind off of the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing. 
And we get out there, and I'm just telling her, like, can you imagine if you were Paul? And remember how he was shipwrecked a night and a day out in the deep, just bobbing up and down in the ocean? And I'm like, I cannot even imagine. I'm on a kayak, beautiful day. I got a beach of lifeguards behind me, and I'm terrified of what will happen if I capsize or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I was just really afraid because of the water. I just don't, I don't like it. I want to be able to see the bottom, you know? And so I'm talking to her so that I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing, just sharing and trying to just get to half a mile so that I can say I did it and I can come back and then I can tell it one day at the church, at church you know. And so we hit half a mile and I go to turn around and I realize, oh my gosh, like we had drifted really far off course. Had you asked me right before I turned around, how straight and perpendicular was your line from shore? I would have been like, my navigation skills are perfect. Like, I guarantee you, I'm straight offshore because I was just doing this, and I, I could feel it, right? I'm a man. I could just feel where I'm at. Not even close, you guys. I was so, I had drifted so far down. It was unbelievable. I felt so like, like an idiot. And so now I'm like trying to find where, it, where even are we? I'm trying to look at the beach and there's those condos and I'm looking down the beach line and finally I think I see what maybe is probably us. I'm like, my goodness, so we got to start going now, you know, and so we're paddling back. It was astounding to me how far we had drifted. And here's the thing, and the whole point of this dumb story is like, why in the world did I drift to begin with? And here's the reason why is I had totally didn't even, I was not looking at shore. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't setting my mind where it was supposed to be set. And so inevitably it just happens. I would have never guessed in a million years we had drifted that far in that amount of time. But you see this command here, take heed. And that's what I'm saying, like draw near, set your mind on it, ultimately on the Lord, where you put yourself where you need to be, because if I'm not anchored to Jesus Christ, I'm going to drift. That's all there is to it. It's as simple as that. And it might be some time before you stop and take inventory, like, oh my goodness, maybe even this morning, you're like, stop and take inventory, and you're kind of like looking back now, like, where are we? And it's like, oh, how did I get so far away from where I was? What has happened to my life? You drifted. You took your eyes and your mind, you took yourself away from being anchored to Christ, and inevitably you will drift. It's just going to happen. You know that. And so then the, the call would be to take heed. Well, take heed to what? Well, first to yourself, like take an inventory and where are you? But then ultimately, it's you, you've got to set your mind on the Lord. This is my anchor. And that is what I hold to God's word. And so if I go anywhere other than that, I'm drifting. It's scary to drift. You don't know where you are. But when the Lord Jesus is your anchor, and you heard David share this even this morning, when you don't have a home, where you don't have a place to go back to, but your foundation is in Christ, guess what? You're going to be okay. And I want to encourage that for you today. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Who is you, yourselves? It's the elders of Ephesus. Who is the flock? It's the people of Ephesus, the church that is there. Take heed to yourselves and notice among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's something that's worth pointing out, and it's this, that the Holy Spirit is the one who appoints these people. That we don't do it. We don't, we don't raise ourselves up or down. Specifically in the context here, we're talking about men who were called to be the elders of the church there in Ephesus, who also served as overseers. And what else did they do? They shepherded. We'll get to all these things later. But this particular thing that the Holy Spirit had done was a calling that God had put on the people. It's a unique thing. 
Bill always did such a good job of explaining kind of the process. I'll explain it to you now. And how do you know if God is, or if the Holy Spirit is calling a person into ministry like this specifically? Before I go any further, I want to make this clear. There is application of this particular principle that goes to every single person here. It really, it really does. Specifically in the context, we're talking about leadership and the elders of a church, okay? Pastors in a church. But this is true if you're a father, if you work somewhere, if you live in this world. This is true of you, that God's going to put a calling on your life. It might not be to like, oversee a, a church in this, of this way, but you have a family. Moms, dads, you've got a family to take care of. Or you have employees or a neighborhood with kids that, you know, that are there. To just consider all the ways this can be applied to you. As we look at the, like, the context of the scripture, okay? I want this to be something you can grab a hold of and then actually do something with. And so when we talk about these particular people and what Bill would always share, and it was so good, is you would, he would just watch and observe a person's life. You just are watching. How do I know? The way we say it is that the, the Holy Spirit's hand is on somebody, right? It's kind of words or language we would use to describe it. We have a Bible college, and a lot of the pastors here who are on staff right now have come from the Bible college. What, what, what point is that? We get two years to watch a person. What are they like? Who are they? How do they make decisions? We see them growing. We're reading papers. We're watching attendance. You know, just different things and just observing a, pers- a person's life. Seeing what kind, of a, what kind of character is there. Observing a person. Uh, maybe, maybe they intern for a year. So that's specifically what we have at Bible college. It's a wonderful tool. We just get to watch a person's life, and you're trying just to see God's hand on a person. They might be able to go and be a part of of ministry. It doesn't have to be a full-time vocational thing in any way, shape, or form. But you're looking at God's hand on people. We have a board of elders. We have elders here who aren't employed by the church, right? I mean, it's a calling that God has. It doesn't matter whether you're paid or not paid. It doesn't matter. You have been called to serve the church, the people of God. And so you watch and observe a person's life. Here in, in Calvary Chapel Horizon, we're, we're a Calvary Chapel church, there, there's a process, about a two-year window, where you're just watching a person's life. Once they've kind of, you, you brought them in and you're seeing what they're doing, there's two years, and then you get what's called a license. You become a licensed minister. As far as the government's dis- concerned, like it's the same as license or ordination, in Calvary Chapel, you got about a two-year process, and this is all-ish. And then you have your licensed minister. And then after about five years of total, right? So three years later or so, you get what's called an ordination. And that's, that allows you to do what we call marry and bury, right? Because it rhymes. It's neat. So once you're ordained in Calvary Chapel, you can marry and bury, right? So that's just kind of a little bit of the process here. The whole point is this. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that. He's the one that says, that's who I want. Why? Because who? Because there's, no, no, they're just called. It's the thing that God does. We, like, I don't ordain anybody. We just recognize who God is already working in. And then we would, make, we would bring him before the church, as we've done on several occasions. And we'll just say, hey, this is what we recognize. That God's hand is on this person in, in a unique way. And, and they're called to be uh, a minister or, or a pastor here at this church. And so that's the same whether it's the board of elders or the pastors here on staff and so on. So just a little bit of a window into how that works. Uh, this word here, our idea here of overseers, some of your Bibles might have it translated bishops in different sections. It probably does. But here it's just this word episcopo. It's somebody who is charged with making sure everything is done right. It's kind of like a secular way of saying it. 
And that's what these people do. Make sure that the people of God are being taken care of. So they just put people in charge. That's all. It's fairly simple. But in this section here in Acts chapter 20, you get something really interesting. And also in 1 Peter chapter 5, which we'll go look at here in a second. But you have in this section in 1 Peter 5, the usage of three words that are used to describe this particular office or this position. You have elders, which is presbyters. You have episcopos, which is overseer. And then you have shepherds, where we get the idea of a pastor. And so you have all these together. There's a difference in ways between the three of those. They're very much synonymous, but there's some distinction between them. I'm not going to go into it right now. And depending on what commentary you look at or whatever, you might see some, some might distinguish them more or less. You know, it's whatever. It doesn't matter a whole lot. We recognize it's a calling that God gives. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes that call. You might remember in Acts chapter 13... When the Holy Spirit said, separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. The Holy Spirit's the one who does that. We, get, we, we watch and we observe and we just try to respond to what God's already doing. I do mean that. was able to watch that in the life of Bill and Vi as they did this. And Bill was so good about just being patient and watching a person's life. And letting them serve. Just serve and serve. And see where their heart is. The qualifications of an overseer, if you're taking notes, and in case you care, in Titus chapter 1, verse 7 is where it will begin to talk about certain qualifications for an overseer. Those things are true for anybody, just so you know, but they're especially true for overseers. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he'll go through that and describe it again. There's some crossover. In fact, most of it's crossover, but there's a few differences in those lists as you look at them. But it's just important to take note that there are qualifications that are uniquely there. There's also some for deacons and so on. And also for the wives of those who oversee. Um, The Holy Spirit calls, the church releases. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that he gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, just to kind of prove the point once again that it's God who does it. God gave the church their gifts, hopefully, the pastors here are a gift to you. Hopefully they're the kind of men that will serve you and lay their life down for you because we've seen Jesus do it already. We're going to get to Jesus. It'll be way better when we get to Jesus and not talk about us. Paul's saying, elders, the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, so you better pay attention. You better take heed, right? What do overseers do? They shepherd. They take the flock and they lead them into a place of stillness. A place where they can rest. A place where they can eat and be nourished. You tend to them. The word means to govern, but the word also means to furnish with pasture. When I got to serve Bill, I would follow him around on Sundays. And he would just, he would have me follow him and he would just point out different things, right? If chairs were a little bit messed up or if something was wrong over here, then I would have to take note of it and just make sure it was good. And why was he doing that? Because he cared about you guys. He wanted to make sure that you guys got to come in here and just rest. Now, we're not going to be perfect, right? We're not like a super produced church. We're never going to be. We want to do things really well and excellently. We don't want you to come in here and be distracted. We want you to be able to sit and rest because you're busting it out there in the world. And this is supposed to be a place of rest where you can come and be fed. What are you going to be eating? Well, you're going to be eating God's word, obviously. And so you're able to come and be fed. I remember one time I walk into the family room over there and the, um, the blinds were a little bit open. And he went over there and he, he turned the blinds and shut them. And he's like, hey, you got to make sure these are shut. I'm like, okay, why? 
You know, not because he's like a crazy dude who has to look, every detail's got to be perfect. No, no, you know why he was doing that? Because if the blinds are open a little bit, the glare hits the window right here and they can't see. And it's like, he just cares about people, right? And it's like, if you can fix it and take care of it, why not do it, you know? So it was really sweet to learn. That's what a pastor does. That's part of it, is provide a place so that people can come and just sit and rest and eat it up, right? So hopefully you guys are able to do that. We've seen this. We've had a shepherd here who's taken care of that, feeding God's word. Hopefully you come here that we can just be right here in God's word, and it's just something that feeds you and nourishes you and grows you and makes you strong in him. That you're pointed to Jesus every single Sunday, Wednesday, whenever you gather together as a church and those who are part of home fellowships and those of you who are part of children's ministry, youth ministry, etc., etc. That it's Jesus everywhere you go. The word of God and Jesus everywhere you go. That's what we have. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter's talking to the elders. And he, calls, he recognizes that you guys are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but you do it eagerly. It's a privilege. Not as being lords over them, those entrusted to you, but as examples. And so as he goes through, and there you see elder, you see overseer, and you see shepherd. That's what they're called to do, to shepherd, to, to bring people to a place of pastoring, of pasture. Who are the elders who oversee, who are they shepherding? The church. You guys see that? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So that's who they're shepherding, the church, the ecclesia, those who've been called out of their homes into a place like this. Like we are the church, the church is in a building. If we were to take you and move you outside, you would still be in church, right? Because it'd be us together. This is the building that houses the church and praise the Lord for that. Who does the church belong to? You guys see it in this section? We're learning from this verse, right? Trying to be in the word, learn from it. To shepherd the church of God. Oh, it's the Lord's church. Y'all are the Lord's, right? The Lord's chips. You guys are the Lord's. God owns this place. Well, what role do we have? What are we? We're just under shepherds to the great chief shepherd. We're stewards of something that God has purchased. Well, notice how did he become the possessor of the church? He purchased the church with his own blood. And this is where, like, your head should start to like melt a little bit. How God purchased the church with his blood? Like God has blood. Like what in the world is this? Now listen real fast. Y'all look at the time. Like, there ain't no, there's no way we're going to go through the hypostatic union in this amount of time. I got like 30 seconds. But I will say this, that you, you have this incredible section of scripture where something's being revealed, right? Like the Lord is revealing something incredible about the nature of God and who Jesus is. 100% God, 100% man. Now, Scripture reveals that. We see it here. So this is a good example of it. How does it work? No clue. No clue. How does a trinity work? Not a clue. How does the sovereignty of God and the freedom of man go together? I have no clue. I see them both in Scripture. They're both there. They're both true. I just don't understand how they work together. And we see that here. God purchased with his own blood. There's this incredible section in Hebrews chapter 9. I won't be able to get to it right now. We're just going to, I'll reference it. But if you're taking notes, it's Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 14, where it talks about it wasn't with the blood of bulls and goats that Jesus entered in. It was with his own blood that he purchased us. That's what he did for you. 
That's what he did for me. Jesus' blood right here. And so you see this, this incredible truth coming out where God has purchased us. We talked about how valuable you are, how incredible you are, how, in, how amazing you are in the sight of God. And I want to leave you with this. Go in your Bibles to John chapter 10. This is what we'll finish up with. I want to leave you with Jesus. There's just no other. And, and when we talk about the idea of shepherding and being a, a pastor and so on, listen, there is only one shepherd. It's him. It's Jesus. There's only one who is the pastor, and that's Jesus. Everybody else is just A. There's only one good shepherd, and it's Jesus. And you need him, and I need him. There's only one who's going to give you rest. There's only one who can truly allow you to enter in to stillness and peace and rest for those of you who are struggling and those of you who are hurting, are desperate, are tired. There's only one who will give you rest. There's only one who has living water. There's only one who has and gives bread that you'll never hunger again, that you'll never thirst again. It's Jesus. I want you to know him. I want you to look to him. A pastor's job is this, to point everybody to Jesus. That's our job. We want you to be fed by him. We're just saying, hey, look to him, right? So hopefully every message you ever hear, any, anything you ever do that's a part of this ministry is something that points you ultimately to Jesus, not to ourselves. I will always I'll let you down. I just will. Don't ever look to me. It's Jesus, okay? I want to help. I want to be able to offer counsel and be there for you and with you. But man, we need Jesus. I am a sorry representation of him. You need him. Him alone. Allow me to read this and then we'll close up, okay? In John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 7. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me, they're thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. He says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved, and he will go in and out, and he'll find pasture. That is what Jesus offers you. What is pasture? What does that mean? That is the place that you need to be. You need pasture. This is where you're going to be fed, that, this pasture. This is where you'll find life. Anything outside of Jesus, and so many of you know this. For those of you who are in Christ, you've been there. You have been outside of the pasture and it's a desert and barren wasteland where you hurt and you hunger. Some of you are maybe there right now and you are in need of Jesus, man. Cry out to him. He actually said if you would just confess with your mouth that he is indeed the Lord, which you will be doing one day whether or not you like it. He is indeed the Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you'll be saved. You'll go in and find pasture. But it's through Jesus. Faith in him and the work of the cross. I want pasture. We hope that this is a, a part of that. But again, we're trying to get you to Jesus. Beautiful verse here in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and then they have it more abundantly. Who is the they that he's worried about, concerned for the sheep? It's you guys. That's me. Outside of Jesus, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get stolen from, robbed. You're going to be killed and you're going to be destroyed. That's what you have outside of Christ. But in him, guess what? You have life and life abundantly. 
I hope that you get a taste of it when you come like to, a ch- to church in the morning, you know? I hope that you get a taste of it when you go to a home fellowship or a part of a ministry. When you're with one another, you get a taste of it. But you need him. He goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. That's Jesus. The good shepherd, notice, gives his life for the sheep. And he's done that, hasn't he? Already. While you and I were rebelling, we're sticking our fist up against him. Oh, I don't care. I don't need him. He loved you to the point of death. He's already done it. This will come into a clearer focus next week. But notice what he says. I must, I want to get through it. Okay. But a hireling is he who is not the shepherd. Okay. The hireling is one who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. That's what a hireling allows to happen. Oh, okay. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. And notice this, he doesn't care about the sheep. He doesn't care if they get beat up. He doesn't care if they get eaten up, nothing. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. That's why we want you to know Jesus. <laughs> and he says, I know my sheep. Pause for a second, and I want you to know this. He knows you. That's what he said right here. Okay? He knows you. And am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what he done. That is what he has done. You guys know this. We have the incredible privilege. You have the incredible privilege of being able to introduce people to Jesus, to provide still waters for them, perhaps. Maybe you invite people into your home, whether it be youth, young people in your neighborhood, and it's like they see, they get a glimpse of what a marriage should look like. They get a glimpse of what a father and how the, a father or a husband loves the wife and so on. You know, the world looks at these things and sees it. And they come into your home and it's a place of rest. That's awesome, you guys. Do that. You get to do these things. Where people get to come in and just experience the beauty of what it means to be a follower of Christ, you know. There's so many other examples I could list. You guys apply this as these fit. But know this, that ultimately all we have to do, all we get to do is point people to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. When you guys come here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whatever, you know, all the different things that are going on, I want you to know this. You're going to get Jesus. You know, that's why you come. Because you guys are awesome. You just want him. But you're going to get him. You're going to hopefully be fed by this. And then I would, I would say this. Go and do likewise, right? Go and give people Jesus. That's what they need desperately. Let's go ahead and be done there. Next week, we'll talk about savage wolves. That'll be fun. And savage wolves and being generous. We'll see how those two connect. No idea how they do right now, but we'll figure it out then. So I'll tell you what, I'm late. Don't even worry about it. Is it okay if I just pray? And then if you guys need any prayer afterwards, come on up. Otherwise, y'all have a great day. So Jesus, we love you and thank you for this time. We're in need of you and ask that you would be exalted in and through our lives. And you as the good shepherd, that you would come and and minister to us. You're so good. And we ask that you would be exalted, that we would come to know you in a powerful way, and that we get to introduce people to this this idea of green grass and still waters, that they would just be able to sit and feed upon you. We need you. We really need you, Lord. And these days, we are desperate for you. We cry out to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's something that does feed us, just like the manna did. We have a miraculous way of being fed now. It's through you. And so move us now. As your people, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit? Pour yourself out on us that we could be used in a really powerful way. And Lord, at the end of the day, we want you. Teach us what it means to enjoy you, to be close to you, to set our minds on you so we do not drift away. 
We thank you for your grace and mercy and for those who have drifted. You're so good, Lord. Just like the prodigal son ran back to the father, ran to him. Lord, uh, I would pray that there would just be those who could come reunite with you once again. Minister to them. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.